All right. So our readings this morning, our uh, first one, as Scott mentioned, is Psalm 103, uh, 1 through to uh, verse 22, which is the whole of the psalm. And then if you want to also tag Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. That's what we'll read following. So Psalm 103, starting at verse 1. Of David. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. All right, and now... Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, starting at verse 18 and finishing at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, Friends, let's just bow in prayer as we come to think about God's word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word uh, is true, that it reveals who you are and your will for us, and that by your spirit that our lives can be changed. Father, we pray that as we uh, consider this passage from Colossians 3 now, that you would be opening our minds and uh, changing our hearts, that we would be uh, men and women, boys and girls, uh, who seek to live with you as our Lord of our lives and to please you in the way we conduct our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The thing which impresses me most about America is the way that the parents obey the children. Uh, So said the Duke of Windsor after he once returned from a visit to America. The Duke of Windsor, of course, was formerly King Edward VIII. He was impressed, sarcastically, by the way that the parents obey the children. That was in 1957. That's 63 years ago. Uh, It's not normally how we think of the 1950s, however... In the relative affluence and the baby boom of post-war America, perhaps parents were being a little bit too much giving in to the whim of their children. Well, imagine what the Duke would think of us if he visited Australia in 2020. There are, of course, two clear problems in family life today which relate to this passage On the one hand, when family life seems to always revolve around the children, around what the children want, and then on the other hand, uh, and rather sadly, the abuse of authority by parents. Uh, These, along with other factors, uh, contribute to a degree of dysfunctionality within families in Australia today. Cooperation um, means that... um, And so... Uh, Paul addresses these issues and uh, firstly uh, he wants to um, talk about uh, children and then he talks about the the responsibility of fathers. Families of course are a gift from God and in the mix and the joys of the challenges of family life uh, we don't always get the order of relationship right do we? I say order because uh, God in his wisdom has created order within our relationships, within the relationship of marriage, within the relationships within the family. And yet as we've seen in Paul's letter to the Colossians, in our sinfulness we've reversed the order uh, such that we put ourselves before God and uh, and his ways, uh, even in families. So then, how does the forgiveness that we have in Jesus and our new identity as God's people shape the relationships between parents and children? 
Well, the Apostle Paul is quite succinct in Colossians chapter 3, if you'd like to have that open up in your Bibles. And uh, today we're just going to focus on two verses, verses 20 and 21. Let me read those verses for you. Children, says Paul, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Well, firstly, there's a word for children here, for the kids in the congregation. And it's worth defining what Paul would have meant by children. Uh, There is a very similar passage to this in Ephesians chapter 6, where it, it is quite clear that the children that Paul has in mind are those who are still being raised by their parents. And this is important because whilst the Bible teaches us that we should honour our parents throughout our lives, throughout their lives, and especially in their senior years, to honour is not the same as to obey. The obedience of children to their parents is part of honouring them and it's part of honouring them in an earlier stage of life. For a key goal of parenting is to equip children to grow up, to stand on their own two feet as responsible adults, no longer under the responsibility and the authority of their parents. So this is a pastoral word to children in the congregation who are not adults. They are still dependent on their mum and their dad. Their parents are responsible for their well-being. And so therefore it makes sense for children to obey uh, mum and dad in everything because cooperation makes the parents' job easier, not harder. And that's for the good of the family. That's for the good of the children. But whilst this is true, it's actually not the reason Paul gives as to why children should obey their parents. For in verse 20, the reason Paul gives is that such obedience pleases the Lord. That is, the motivation for Christian children is not just culture uh, or that the family will be more functional if they cooperate, which of course is true, that's very true, but rather their obedience is actually an outworking of their relationship with the Lord. By the way, it's worth noting that Paul actually addresses children as being responsible members of the congregation. He doesn't consider themselves to, them to be non-Christians who need to be converted. No, the children of believing parents are treated as being members of God's family, members of God's church, who are being taught how to know and to love and to trust God through Jesus. Just as in the Old Testament, Israelite children were, uh, were considered to belong to the people of God. And here, being clothed with the character of Christ will mean obeying their parents. Of course, children of believing parents may sometimes, as they grow older, walk away from the Lord walk away from that relationship. But our prayer for our children is that they will grow almost seamlessly in their relationship with God 
uh, from the time that they enter the world as they are taught to know and to love and to trust Jesus in family and in the church. Here, Paul expects that the children of the congregation would have a desire to please not just mum and dad, but importantly, to please their Lord. Which may shed some light on what else Paul says here about their obedience. For the children are to obey their parents in what? What does he say? They are to obey their parents in everything. Does that mean no possible exceptions? Well, again, what is the goal? Why is it that children should obey their parents? The overriding goal is to please the Lord, isn't it? That is, uh, they should, uh, that, uh, that the Lord is the higher priority. I, I do actually know of a situation where a child protested when uh, a parent uh, wanted them to do something which the child believed would not please the Lord. And uh, in that particular instance, it ended well because the parent was a Christian and just hadn't thought the, thought the issue through. But if it had not ended so well, then at least the child would have made known that his prior desire, his utmost desire, was to do that which pleased and honoured his God. Which is always our highest relationship. As also in a wife's submission to her husband or a slave's obedience uh, to his or her master. So children are to obey their parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. You know, I remember uh, when our two children were young, uh, they came to me one day and they said to me, Hey, Dad, we've just discovered what must be your very favourite verse in the whole of the Bible. And I said, Yeah, really? What would that be? You know, John 3.16, perhaps? No, they said. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, children obey your parents in everything. And then they said, and Dad, we've also discovered our new favourite verse in the whole of the Bible. The next, the next verse, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It was a lovely and somewhat cheeky conversation that we had. But this is the reciprocal responsibility in the parent-child relationship, that a father should not embitter his children. Do you know what's missing in verse 1? Did you notice anything missing? There's no instruction given to mothers, is there? I wonder why that is. Well, Paul doesn't actually tell us. However, it may be because men just need more encouragement to be the fathers that God wants them to be. You see, in the Bible, fathers are not to be on the sidelines of family life. In fact, uh, as life begins at conception, the father in the Bible is, is actually seen as being the initiator of the new life. For example, when God promised Abram a son, the child was said to, have, to come from his body, not just the body of his wife Sarah. 
And in the Old Testament, genealogies always follow the paternal line. It's very different to the view in some parts of modern Western culture where the father is not even considered to be necessary in the nurture of children, that uh, two mothers are just the same as a mother and a father and that the only role that a man needs to play is to be the anonymous donor, as if masculine input into the nurture of daughters, of young girls and sons, young boys, is an irrelevance. Moreover, in the similar passage in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul also only addresses the fathers. But in that passage, the responsibility of the fathers to their children is to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Not that mothers shouldn't be doing that. Of course they should. And very often they're the ones that do it. Uh, But perhaps men need that extra encouragement, that extra encouragement to be men who are at the centre of life, men who are at the centre of the spiritual life of their families and of their children, men who are leading their children in godliness. For the influence of a godly father who leads his family in the Lord is incalculable. It's a very great blessing. It's a great blessing for his wife in her life and in her ministry and it is an incredible blessing for his children to grow up knowing and loving the Lord and knowing that their father has actually taught them and prayed for them and and has been the one who has initiated spiritual conversations and spiritual activities of being the one who's saying, let's go to church and uh, you should be going to youth group and encouraging them to read their Bibles and to be praying on a daily basis. A father who is being like Christ towards them. And it's that last issue of being like Christ towards them, which perhaps lies behind Paul's instruction for fathers not to embitter their children. In the original Greek, when talking about the relationship between fathers and children, Paul actually makes explicit the word your, your children. Uh, Whereas in the other relationships, the husband-wife relationship, the master-slave relationship, uh, the word your is not in the original. It's it's just implicit. It's implied. It it doesn't actually say your husband and your wife and your slave and your master. The NIV and other versions in English just insert the word your into that relationship, and rightly so, because that's what it means, that's implicit in what Paul says in the original, but with fathers and children, Paul states it explicitly. Explicitly. They are your children. As if Paul has to emphasise this, as if Paul has to remind fathers of their responsibility towards them. So in what ways can fathers embitter their children and cause discouragement? 
Well, there's many ways, many ways. Being the father who is, is on the sidelines of family life, who's, who's not central, not, not being around, being the father who doesn't listen, doesn't seek to understand, doesn't seek to enter into their world, being the father who is the critic rather than the encourager, the one who tears down rather than the one who builds up, the one for whom the child can never receive their acceptance and their praise. Being more like the old man, the man without Christ towards them, rather than being the man who is clothed with Christ, as we've seen in Colossians, is our new identity. Uh, Being the man... Uh, not being the man who displays the image of God to them. But that's what fathers should be. Fathers should be the, 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 the man who displays the image of God towards their children. And what is God's like? What is God's character? In Psalm 103, which Michelle read to us earlier on, the ideal model of the human father is applied to God is said to describe God let me read to you the psalmist says as a father has compassion on his children so too the Lord has compassion on his people on those who fear him or revere him as that word means God is compassionate, says the psalmist. He's gracious. He's he's patient, that is, he's slow to become angry. And he's abounding in love. These are not just qualities of mothers. These are the selfless qualities of our heavenly father and therefore ought to be the character of a godly father, an earthly father. For such a father will not embitter, will not discourage, will not crush the spirits of his children. And of course, the the ultimate expression of God's fatherly love is found in the forgiveness which we receive in the gospel. Now, of course, only some of us watching here are fathers. Uh, But one thing which we all have in common is that we've all had a father. Uh, Some of us have had very godly fathers. Some of us have had very ungodly fathers. Some have had fathers who are somewhere in between. And I'm aware that uh, some of us have had fathers who have been like that dad who causes bitterness and causes discouragement, which Paul speaks about, and that that can have long-lasting effects on who we are as people and how we think of ourselves. We can't change the past, but God can change us. For what is the highest privilege that we have in Christ? How about the fact that no matter our family background, that we can call the God of the universe our Father, forgiven by him, accepted by him, 
and loved by the one who is above all, the one whose forgiveness, acceptance and love counts more than anything else. He's done that for us. So that whether we are a father or a mother, or whether we're neither, we can all show the compassion, grace and love that our Heavenly Father has embraced us with, we can show that to others. Do you know, uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic, as uh, schools and workplaces have been closed, uh, families have been spending a lot of time together, haven't they? And it's been nice to hear from some households how that's been a really, really enriching experience that we've, people have been saying to me, we've been able to spend time together and uh, not be distracted by all sorts of other things. It's been great. Well, that was funny uh, earlier on, listening to school teachers uh, saying, ha-ha, now these mums and dads are going to find out what their little angels are really like. It's been less humorous to hear of the increase of uh, domestic problems during this time as well. As Christians, our family relationships are to be different. Children obeying parents, fathers being compassionate, gracious and forgiving. Not just because of culture or even because it works, but because, as Paul says, this is actually what pleases our Lord. Let's pray about that, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of families and for the good order that you've created within families, that uh, children take a long time to, uh, to grow up and during that time can be nurtured and shaped and uh, built in their relationship with their parents and, and with you. Father, we pray for ourselves that we would have such a love for you that that would be reflected in the way that we treat one another in the family context. We pray for children that uh, their love for you would overflow in their obedience and cooperation towards their parents. We pray for parents that they would so love you that they would want to instill uh, that love of you in their children. Particularly we pray for fathers in that regard. And we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.